0: Greetings, you happily miserable accursed. Hurley here with another edition of your goddamn favorite political pod. And yet another week, where two-thirds of our panel will have to do. Professor Scott Reed is here, back from his intensive week beguiling young minds at Queen's University. Corey tonight is here, consistent, ever-present, always perspicacious, Corey. But alas, Jordan Leibniz is not here this week. She's off doing Jordan Leibniz things, which probably involves doing some Friedrich Ebert stiff tongue things. But good news, you accursed, you don't have to go a week without Jordan Insights. If you head over to airquotesmedia.com, she's written a fantastic piece on the far-reaching ripple effects of the Peace PSAC strike. Take a few minutes and give it a read. All right, today, the Alberta election, UCP New Democrats still running neck and neck, wildfire crisis going on in the province, lots of campaigning in Calgary going on. We'll review that. We're going to take a little bit of a deep dive into the Michael Chong China CISA story, there's a new king of Canada. So we'll talk about the coronation if we can. And does wake up, beat out, woke? Our cursed clipping is Alex Ballingall's piece from the star on Trudeau taking direct aim at Polyev at the Liberal Convention. We'll recap all the salient stuff from the weekend and then the wondrous Mr. Gordon Pinsent will ask us for our hey use. Scott, what was teaching like?
1: Uh, it was pretty intimidating. It was pretty intimidating, pretty stimulating. So for folks who don't know, I went down to Queen's. MPA 881. I want to give a shout out to all of the students. And there were a few, there were a few poison, perverted, twisted minds who were fans of the podcast. So, uh, that was kind of exciting to see. And, uh, it was a great experience. It was fun. I mean, you know, but it was really intense. It's, it's this course that you take a course in one week. So I'm there as a rookie. And I would teach from nine to one and then people would break and students would come in and talk to me over the lunch hour. And then I would break and then I would, or nine to 12. And then I would do another three hours from, from one to four. And I managed to recruit a couple. That's six solid
0: hours of work, eh?
1: It's a lot of time for people to listen to me. And so there was, there were many people, you know, learning how to, threat of news, uh, you know, mixed, mixed poisons they could drink. So, uh, But we got through it. It was pretty fun. It was a very intense experience. I now know how Mix not to do Coke it. Ryan Coke
0: while driving.
1: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, David, you were obviously a guest. I had uh, oh. had a couple of guests. Our buddy Dennis Matthews came down, did a stint on advertising. Uh, Shannon Proudfoot from The Globe came in and talked about what it's like to cover government and the prime minister. So it was fun. It was a lot of fun. I really liked it. Um, but it was really tiring. And at night I would just go sit in some pub and I would scramble to write the next day's lecture, pretending that it was already prepared. And I would like, you know, drink beer and watch a playoff game. And it was it was a crazy weird experience. But shout out to the students. I really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Sounds like a cool thing to do. You know what happened to me this weekend? I got completely Fucked and dunked on by Commander Chris Hadfield.
2: Outstanding.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He he was a, a speaker at something called the OG 100, Ontario Growth 100 Conference down in Niagara. And he gives this very impressive presentation on space and what's happened and what he did and his life story and his journey. It's all very compelling. And then there's a question and answer session. And I'm being an asshole and I stand up. And I say, you seem like an intelligent and reasonable man. Why do you prefer Space Oddity to Rocket Man? (laughs) And he says, because Rocket Man is the story of what it's like to be a gay man performing in America in the 1970s. And Space Oddity is about space. (laughs)
1: well he's not wrong (laughs) awesome (laughs) and you you just said thank thank you very much your reply it's that town totally absolutely yeah Yeah, (laughs) i met i met chris hadfield um you know, for years and years uh, before they rebranded, I did Canada AM like multiple times a week and I would always meet incredible people in the green room and he was on one day I was on and he gave me one of his guitar picks, right? He's like, this is a guitar pick that I played the guitar on in space. So, so the kids have that and uh my son Ben loves to play guitar. So, uh that's uh and my son will so they have that so that was that's pretty cool i assume he just has a crate of them in his trunk that you know i've oh, never yeah. been to space <laughs> they're, not, they're not from space right they're from like whitby or whatever but you know <laughs> well uh, they, they would
2: have been they would have been in space i'm pretty sure they're not from space unless, <laughs> unless something really special went up there that we didn't know about but uh well, uh, I'm. I don't have anything of of importance to note from the weekend, but I do got to show with uh, throw a shout out to uh, to all our fans and stuff out there because I did spend a little bit of time hanging out on the margins. Of the liberal convention with uh, with you, Mr. Hurley. I got as I got as close as the Chateau Laurier bar. and <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's right uh, in the middle of it, really. And uh, got to got to have a really nice lunch with you and uh, and chat and and for all of our fans and podcast listeners out there, you know, they' you know if you're ever feeling a little bit down or anything, uh, sit down for lunch with David Hurley because uh, he laughs and makes you laugh, and uh, is uh, uh, even better company off the podcast, uh, hanging out, doing all that. And we had—I think I, I don't know how many people came up and chatted with us, but you know, we had a we had a, uh, a preacher who uh, went to to school with Ray Novak. Come, we have a minister
0: a, that listens a, to the
2: pod. Uh, yeah, We have a minister. We had. Uh, you know, we had a former conservative uh, MP from Winnipeg, a whole bunch of people who were, you know, really, really generous uh, to to come up and chat, and uh, uh, and it reminded me just how lucky I am to be a part of all of this because uh, it was great fun uh, meeting those folks and and hearing all of that. Oh, Scott, people were thrilled to meet Corey too. It was really, uh, really no fun, kidding. They really we fun well, that, really fun that must- way. But
0: I introduced Corey to uh, I introduced Corey to Bruce Young, and I don't know that Corey's going to be the same.
1: <laughs> Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> you start talking about butter. British
2: politicians putting oranges up their ass or something like that. That's the Bruce
1: Young I love. Right into it, right off the top.
2: <laughs> uh, it's great. I don't know how we've never met, but uh, we've never met because we're one degree of separation from a whole bunch of close friends. And uh, But it uh, was wonderful. So uh, another added plus of hanging out with you, David. There we go. Well, let's get to the convention. And let's start with... A little bit
0: of a quote from Alex Ballingold's piece. Speaking on stage before hundreds of Liberal supporters, Trudeau ran through a litany of accusations and attacks on Polyev as he tried to fire up his partisan base for the next federal election. Describing how Canada faces an amalgam of challenges, from climate change to global instability and rising costs of living, Trudeau charged that Paulyev's Conservatives aren't up to the task of facing it. At the same time, the Prime Minister accused Polyev of parroting gun lobbyists. He condemned him for allowing conservative MPs to meet with a German far-right politician. And he decried Polyev's show of support for protesters who took part in the so-called Freedom Convoy occupation that, quote, blockaded our streets and borders for weeks last year. At the same time, the Prime Minister accused uh, sorry, Trudeau also hearkened back to his previous statements that despite their differences, Conservative Canadians are our neighbors and should be treated as such but he accused Polyev of failing to understand the value of thriving communities, in part because of his criticism of the government's multi-billion dollar subsidies to bring a Volkswagen electric vehicle battery factory to southwestern Ontario. In this consequential moment, Trudeau said it would be the honour of his life to lead the party through the next election, his latest confirmation that he intends to stay in the job through the next campaign. Corey... You were there soaking in some of the atmosphere. What was your take? What did the Liberals get out of this
2: convention and particularly out of that speech? I think it's firing them up a little bit <clears throat> and... Uh... You know, and, and anyone who uh, hasn't been a listener to the podcast and, and is unaware of our views on this, Trudeau is running again. <laughs> and and, and at, the, at this point, you know, you, you would have to be deaf, dumb and blind to uh, to not see that. Like, you know, that speech, uh, that tone, uh, that approach is, is it's beating you over the head with with that clear message and. Um, Look, I, I thought I thought he got some of his speech right. I got, I think he's gotten some of the messaging right. But you know, as we chatted about uh, yesterday uh, as well, uh, David, uh, I think both of these leaders are making a mistake uh, and being the, the you know the primary spear thrower uh, for their party and their message. And you know, uh, neither Polyev nor Trudeau are very popular. In fact, they're both very fucking divisive, polarizing and, um, and, and problematic from that perspective, you know, uh, but it, I, I, you know, the approach they're taking, I think is a, is a reach for the bottom, not a reach for the top sort of plan. Uh, You know, you can't be going out and, and, being the presentation of the, you know, the harshest attack lines on your opponents and how people like you, you know, nobody likes the guy who's negative all the time. Nobody likes the guy who's, who's uh, shitting on the other guy all the time. And, um, and, and frankly, they're both doing it. You know, I, I was listening to Michael Chong, uh, you know, uh, before we went on QP you know the very stately, you know, calm, low key tone. You know, very, you know, sort of substantive in its approach. Uh, you know, that, that's sort of what the leader's supposed to be doing. You know, and and the the the, the, the lieutenants, like the Chongs of the world, should be the ones who are out there with like a, a, a bushel basket full of hand grenades, throwing them around. And uh, and it's kind of the opposite, which is which is weird. You know, and and you saw the same thing from from the stage of uh, of uh, the Liberal Conference. Uh, you know, Trudeau was more fired up, uh, more adversarial, uh, throwing you know bigger spears than any of the cabinet ministers that I saw, and and that's that's just odd in my view. Scott, what's your take?
1: Uh, well, unlike you guys, unfortunately, because I was you know in Kingston playing Professor Snape, <laughs> I didn't get a chance to be there. But I, I thought a couple things from afar. I mean. First of all, I just want to underscore, like, you know, having been one of the comms monkeys that has to sit in a room with a, you know, warm case of beer and draft one of these speeches, I just want to acknowledge they're hard to draft, especially when you're an incumbent prime minister, right? Because you want to rally the crew and, and the prime minister has a natural impulse to what Corey is saying, they have a natural impulse to give that 4,000 liberal delegates or 3,000, whatever the heck it is, to give them red meat, to give them good, hard, partisan content. But, Scott, if I could just say, my sense of that room
0: was that the delegates, they love Trudeau. But yeah. they're worried the country doesn't love Trudeau. Right. And And they didn't want to hear more of what they love about Trudeau. I think they wanted
2: desperately to hear a winning path. Right. Well, right. let me... Uh, sure, but you could give you could give them a pass on that, don't you think, guys? Like, if for if it was a convention, but that you know the the article that you were quoting was you know the first speech he gave when he got back from from the coronation, like it's you know it it's it's a continuance, like you know, um, so like I, I I don't know I just. I'll be, I'll be interested to see where they go. You know, I, 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 I don't want to overstate it on, you know, what you do at a, at a, at a political convention as, you know, as being the be all and end all of all all of this stuff. Let's see what happens over the coming weeks. But, you know, it, it, if that continues, you know, the point that, that you've made before guys, uh, where are the ads, you know, like it doesn't even have to be a minister.
1: Let me just pick up on that, particularly on what you said, David, because prior to the convention, when people would ask me what needs to happen, I said two things. One, Trudeau's got to settle any question with respect to his future and make it clear I'm running and that's that. Um, And two... You should explain why he's running, right? And that, to me, David, is it's not just because Pierre Polyev is a prick. It's because I this is our pathway forward. This is the unfinished business. This is what gets me out of bed. This is what ought to get you as liberals out of bed. This is what's going to excite us. And this is what, by the way, we happen to think is appealing to the country and ought to, you know, is both important and hopefully appealing. And I didn't think that it. I mean, it obviously met the minimum test of i'm running and i mean it so that's good and that crowd wants to hear that and then and he obviously gave them lots of reasons to you know run against uh polyev uh and it was okay i would say on that front uh i like the hey what do you mean woke wake up here i like that line that's a good line for that crowd okay so like 10 out of 10 that you in that setting you got to give them a couple of those and i thought that was a good one i thought brokenism was very ungoodism as political branding it's just a fucking it's, off the tongue. And it's just it doesn't <laughs> roll off the tongue and it's so it's so forced and lame and it's so like hey you know and somebody was like I got a good one and it's like you don't have a good one okay like you're fired you're out of the writer's room get the fuck out of here you're not funny you're not interesting and you don't know how to command the English language so I think that's scrap that that's done but the path, as you say, wasn't there. And and then I thought the rest of the convention, it's clear that it served as core function. Like liberals seemed to be kind of united and comfortable and all that kind of stuff. And they were happy to be together and they're hung united, in each but other. they're scared. Yeah. And so, like, I mean, there wasn't a lot of well, what's the path forward? What's the unfinished business? How's that help us get reelected? And why is that exciting? And I thought the rest of the convention felt like it. F- Felt like a little rear view mirror, right? And I know I'm being a dink, but I just, you know, between Chretien and Hillary Clinton, it didn't feel very 2025. It felt awfully 1998. And I, you know, I mean, those people will get a, they're, they're going to get fan love out of the crowd and that's good. But I like it at minimum needed to be coupled with more. And I thought the speech needed to be coupled with more. And, and when it comes to Corey's point, I couldn't agree with you more. They haven't figured out what the rhythm is yet on the PM, on the one hand, telling you that his strategy, his speech literally says, our strategy is that we're going to run on our positive vision for the future. Just like I said in 2015, yada, 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 this is our positive vision. We get big things done. We have the right values. But then he spends the whole speech being his own hatchet man and they've got to figure this thing out they've got to figure out how to maximize the high negatives of polyev how to make him unelectable because that's really the path to reelection, but without making trudeau the guy that carries that and i just i think it's it's ads and a designated hitter like we've said for for almost two years now We're, going into well, the that, that mean-
0: going into the 2014 election I wanted to run some negative against uh, the NDP and against HUDAC, particularly the NDP, because their numbers were too high. And Kathleen didn't really like it. Um, and, and then she said, you know, if I'm prepared, if we're prepared to say, if I'm prepared to have those things said, why aren't I prepared to say them themselves? Wouldn't it be myself? Wouldn't it be more credible if I said these things myself? And so, um, frankly, in a bit of an effort to humor her, we recorded the ads. We shot the ads with her walking and taking apart the NDP in one ad and taking apart I the remember. Conservatives in, in another. And the clear evidence of the ads was that they made people feel more negatively about her than they did about either Horvath or Hudak, right? Because they didn't like the fact that she was doing that. They didn't like I think that Jill, version I, of her.
1: I think I remember looking at those ads. I think Jill showed me a rough cut of those ads of that bar Wellington, you know, near you. Yeah. And I remember looking at those at the time, and you're like instantly, like, this doesn't scan, man. Mm-hmm. They need, They need... An assassin, uh, you know, not the yeah. prince to hand uh, to say those words. Yeah.
2: And I think Trudeau's in well, the well, same it, thing. It, it, he does he, I don't think he needs an a- assassin per se. Like I, I think it's actually more. You know, it's not the leader has to say these things. Literally, everyone except the leader has to be saying it. Like right. literally, everyone. It's not. It's not one spear thrower. It's hey, everybody in caucus. Mm-hmm. Hey, everyone in cabinet. Here are lines. Jolie did that, by
0: the way, Corey, in her introduction yeah. of Trudeau. Yeah, Jody yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh you know, but but where where is that? You know? I like you just don't see it. You know, you you see a lot of statesmen <laughs> out there doing doing their thing. And you know, and, and uh, you yeah, know, it maybe sounds like I was complimenting uh uh you know uh, uh Michael Chong uh, earlier and talking about his tone, but yeah. You know, it's you know it actually is a bit of implied criticism there absolutely it should be yeah. it should be the opposite yeah. you know it shouldn't be uh P- Polyev on this particular issue out there you know with the flamethrower mm. it should be chong saying you know that's my family yes. you know like i uh, and and could actually summon you know moral outrage and indignation instead it's like you know, uh, he could have been with you, Professor Reed. Uh, you know, teaching a teaching a public policy course, but with with all of the emotional detachment and you know, sort of lack of uh, of passionate uh, thrust. And then you've got then you got Pierre out there. You know, literally with a flamethrower. You know, going at it. And ver, ver, version of same with the liberal government. You know? Uh, For for all my, you know, conservative friends uh, out there, if you want to be in, you know, if you want to be a cabinet minister, you better start acting like a politician first. You regular
0: listeners know I'm a son of rural Canada, prelate Saskatchewan, today's population somewhere around 116. But like so many before us and many more after, my parents moved the Hurley clan to Regina for better education, better health care and more opportunity. Today, because of digital connectivity, these opportunities can come to prelate and all rural and Indigenous communities. Our presenting sponsor, TELUS, has been proving it for years now, working to bring the digital tools and infrastructure these communities need to thrive so families can access online education, work, health care, and other services and stay in the places that are so much a part of who they are. But this is no gauzy, romantic story about how digital access can preserve small-town values, Hurley-Burleyites. Burlyites. is a value story, an economic one. According to StatsCan, the mobile telco industry contributed $25.5 billion to our GDP in 2020. In 2019, it was 1.2% of total GDP. Capital expenditure in wired and wireless telecommunications was over $10 billion in 2020, or roughly $260 a Canadian. And get this, the industry is responsible for creating an estimated 145,700 jobs. Any way you cut those numbers, it's an immense contribution to our economy. The recent Auditor General's report on the status of rural connectivity has made it abundantly clear that connectivity is a driver of economic growth for all communities in Canada, urban, rural, and remote, and that we all need access to affordable, high-speed internet and mobile to participate in the digital economy. TELUS, to borrow a phrase, is so down with that. They want to up the ante, work with governments to meet and even exceed their target of 100% connectivity by 2030. Never more important than now during this critical time of economic rebuilding. Go to telus.com rural to learn more. Hey Corey, what do you think about Scott's point? You've put together the odd convention or so. The guest speakers, what do you think that was going on in the planning of this convention. I understand that Hillary only came together like a week or so ago with a personal call from
2: uh from Christia Freeland to come. Uh, I if I were them I would have made several personal calls to have her not appear. Like I <laughs> uh, you know she, is that strategy uh,
1: yeah. though or your own bias talking you
2: know I, no I'm no, no, no no well okay. let, let me explain why it's not because I you know have some personal animus against uh, Hillary Clinton like I you know look she's just fine but look I, I, a sunrise and a sunset look a lot the same you know they both can be very beautiful but they're not the fucking same thing right and and Hillary Clinton is not a sunrise Hillary Clinton is a sunset you're running for your fourth fucking term of office You're, you know, you're going to your party convention trying to show, hey, we got some life and we got some gumption and we're trying to put issues around leadership and who's going to lead the team, you know, uh, behind us. So why do you get, you know, three day old fish and and put it on the menu and and, you know, call it, uh, you know, call it the special of the day, right? Like it's, you know, uh, you know, maybe the fresh fish on the menu or at least the freshest you have, but it's not it's not very fresh. I really agree with that. Pardon me?
1: I really agree with that. Do you? I I strongly, strongly agree with that because it can't just be the greatest hits. You also need to know, like, if you're programming the convention, you definitely want greatest hits okay so you want the greatest hits out there knocking away and and making the the crowd come to their feet and dance around but you also want the rising star you also want you know uh you know uh, next year's grammy winner and you know like so just to use the u.s analogy if you're going to draw somebody from the states you're going to call into that area code Call
2: pete Buttigieg. you know what i mean Uh, i was was literally going to say the same name i was literally going to say the same name
1: yeah some and you know that's um, and again, you don't have to say "Don't come, Hillary," but you do need to say, like, if that's all it is, then you say, "Like, am I busy being born? Am I busy looking backward?" And right. uh, and it just so to me, they needed more of that. And um, you know, I look, it worked. Like, let's not overanalyze it. The thing worked; it made people feel comfortable. Trudeau's laid to rest the question of whether or not he's going to run again. People assume he's running again, and that, that's that. So we'll move on from that story. But you know, uh, what we did not see was the, the clearly traced out lines of how they're going to
2: beat Paulieff. Well, I like. I thought that. Like, I don't want to, you know, not say anything positive about it because I think there were some things in that speech that that I thought were on target. Like, I I thought he was he was creating a narrative for, for female voters that I, I thought was compelling. Mentioned uh, choice at least four times in the speech.
0: And, yeah,
1: and and that is wise, and it will drive the conservatives crazy, and in the well, chattering classes will say it's so obvious. But just keep
2: banging that drum for sure. Well, it's a, it's not just just the choice stuff. It's you know the fifty percent of cabinet being female like these things are, are all you know cruise missiles straight to to those voters and i thought that that part of the speech was good uh you know i thought the stuff around vw was good as well i thought the stuff uh around you know uh, tipping the hat to uh, uh to people in the building trades i thought that was smart because you know i think there's there's Always an element, both for the conservatives and the liberals. Frankly, uh, you know, it's too bad Jordan isn't here. They're the only ones who sort of can naturally hit the tone right when talking to uh, organized labor, especially in on the building trades, where they don't look like either they're, you know. Uh, fancy pants is looking down their nose or, or the monopoly man with his top hat and his monocle, you know, the latter being the conservatives and the former, the liberals. So I thought like those things were all smart. It's just, I thought, you know, the, the VW stuff should have been one and three or four points in the speech. And they got to flesh that out more. We talked about that a bit yesterday as well. Like I think there needs to be something more, but it's the start of something good and, uh, and, you know, the stuff around uh, talking to uh, organized uh, union folks who are all at risk to go to the Conservatives this next election, he's going to take that bullet point and And I don't know whether it has to change it much, but it's going to be in every speech. And, and I suspect it's only going to be in that speech. Uh, and uh, I think that's a miss. All right. All right. <clears throat> Let's move on to uh,
0: the aforementioned Mr. Chong. Scott, there has been no evidence really to date that this Chinese interference story has been having any political impact. I've seen no impact in the polls that could be remotely traced uh, to uh, to this ongoing story that's been occurring for months now. So it doesn't really seem to be either captivating Canadians or having a partisan impact on Canadians. Is this the issue... Is this the development, the Chong thing, that changes that? Because it seems different in character and nature.
1: I mean, it does, um, but I don't think it will serve that function. Uh, It seems different in nature because it takes it from an abstract concern of geopolitics and, my God, what's our government doing and something that exists in political columns to something that seems human and relatable, like, you know, like, holy smokes, like this person in you know, who's like five foot 10 and I can look at them on a screen and realize that their family is, you know, they have reason to believe their family's in danger. So it makes it more graphic and more real, but I'm not convinced that it's actually translating into an issue where people are going to say, this is causing me to do something different, certainly going to cause me to vote differently in the next election. But it is obviously chewing up this government and it's symptomatic of a couple of things, right? Like, first of all, it's very like the internal and, you know, we've all been in government and you all deal with the Well, how the fuck can it be that, you know, criticism, right? And so it's how the fuck can it be that CSIS would know this and tell somebody a PCO and it goes to the national security advisor, but the prime minister's office and the prime minister to know, you know, it's, it's, it's Polly intuitive line, which is a good line therefore politically to say, which is like so like, uh, are you lying and covering it up or, uh, did you not know and you're incompetent? So you have to soldier through that unpleasantness. Um and so you know I, one implication is to me is that if the government has to get through the next 2 years of governing before it has to face the electorate as an incumbent government with all the warts and bruises and all that like it needs the government to be better at being government and so and I don't mean them. I mean all of the whole apparatus. It can't be an ongoing persistent vulnerability. And like when I look at how, you know, Marco makes it as uh, an announcement last week with respect to the uh, gun buyback program. And immediately the organization to whom he's turned to conduct the buyback program says we don't support the policy. Right. How the fuck? How in the <laughs> flying fuck could his department permit that to occur? Like Christ. Christ right and then you've got this situation it's like so what are the protocols so on and on and on and we're all every government of every partisan case. But how are they things.
0: still being i'm mistaken but how are they still being fucking surprised by developments in this case like I how was is it possible exactly. that months ago they didn't get every fucking thing on the table so they knew what they were dealing with right and done, i agree with that so last have, thing have i would ever, say is it just you ever keeps done them with away the
2: security from, agencies Exactly. Like, you know exactly. I, I i it's like dealing with dnd you know like uh uh, you know, at least my experience in comms, D and D probably a better example because I had more more comms things around them. But you know, uh, you just you, you never know what's coming out of there. Yeah. it's 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 a black hole. It's a void. But you know, okay, take all take all of that and say. You know, there's not a lot they can do. You can go and, you know, uh, yeah. you know, clear somebody's desk off and yell at the director of CSIS and all that. And at the end of it, I would say you have a one in four chance that you're going to get the truth when you ask a, a question to them. Uh, you know, you're, you're, you're asking for something that's not going to actually happen in all probability. What is inexcusable to me is not that. It is why is that fucking diplomat still in Canada? You know, it's it's that well, Corey, they I mean do are we in a situation over.
0: now? Are we in a situation now where we can't expel a diplomat who did that uh, uh, because like, we're worried I, I, that I, I, China will I, I, just I, arbitrarily pick up three Canadians makes, and throw it, it them makes, in jail? Makes, I
2: assume I'm that's like, what's going well, on, isn't it? Well, but but you know, it's so weak. It's so weak. It's such a misread of how you deal with a bully and all of uh, you know and you know, that part of it they own. That part of it they own. Uh, you know, and as, as as for Marco, you know, he's like he's a very nice guy in my limited experience of dealing with him. But I got to say politically, Don Martin isn't wrong. This guy's got a they got a reverse minus touch. Everything he touches turns to shit, seemingly like I I don't I don't get it. Uh, you know, if, if I were the prime minister, I would be looking at doing a, a cabinet shuffle one more time before you know, the next election, try to lock things down. And there's some weak players in very hot critical files right now uh you know and i'll talk about it a little more when we get to our hey use but uh uh, there's another really nice guy who's a transportation minister who's uh you know just not up to the task so you know you've, you've you've got you've got some very difficult uh portfolios and issues and and they're dropping the ball so you know you can give them a pass at least i do on some of the what do you know and why don't they know all of the, the facts on these things. But you can't give them a pass on not throwing this guy out and, uh, and their response. Marco seems like a guy who's trying
0: to read cryptic instructions and follow them. Uh, rather than doing what he thinks is the right thing to do, mm-hmm.
2: he, he he looks like me trying to to uh, you know put my password into my Crave account on my TV, you know, one letter at a time last night because it <laughs> somehow got deleted. Like really, really incompetent. Like you know, not you know, and and bumbling.
1: <laughs> well, I'm going to come to his defense because he is a good friend, and I think that's too severe an analysis. And the reason I think it's too severe analysis is because I agree with your first point. Which is that he's riding her. if you look at what's the common denominator in so many of these files that have been challenging, it's that there is an apparatus below that's obviously um, that's obviously letting him down. Now his part of that that that
2: contradicts, that contradicts your earlier point though, Scott. like well, the, you know the early, your earlier point was how is it that he puts out a gun buyback program and puts it in the hands of somebody who comes out ten seconds later and shits on it? That well, is an unforced error.
1: Well and, that's my point though a bunch that, of
2: those that's is my that a point is that
1: so my my comment with respect to I don't think there's an inherent incompetence in Marco I think there is I think there is a failure to learn the lesson that his own department and apparatus is teaching him over and over and over again which is that you can't rely on them you can't rely on them to say yes man or sir it's all taken care of these guys are solid you can't rely on them to be giving you a clear brief and I don't think so if you can't if you what do you do in that situation here's my political uh, complaint for for the for both Marco and the prime minister on a bunch of... in it extends to on the chinese file i don't think they've been vocal enough in saying to, to the public i am unsatisfied and i'm taking action and i don't think that you know they they should be indicating, instead of sort of saying, "Well, this is what. How come it happened? Or this is what it happened?" Or looking like they can't find their Crave password. I think, at minimum, they should be saying to folks, "I'm as unsatisfied as you are." And then there's got to be a couple of actions that demonstrate that and that actually resonate with people. So, to your point, like I don't know that the government has the political. Uh, I just don't know that it has a political space. As complicated and complex a question as it is, is dumping the. And uh, the Chinese envoy. I don't know that they had the political choice to not do that now. And uh, so it feels to me like they're going to take time and talk on in front of microphones about how complicated it is, and then they're going to do it. At which point they'll get exactly fucking zilch credit for it. And so. I just like to me because it's not their
0: idea. None of none of the remedial actions ever their fucking idea. They're forced into it, right?
2: They're back. Yeah, well, like like reluctantly, and and but you know, demarching diplomats is something that happens all the time everywhere else in the world, seemingly except here, and it used to happen here. Uh, but you know, so uh, Germany. It's still, in I don't know. Is that fair? It's, yeah, 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 no, no, it's pretty goddamn no, uncommon. It's pretty uncommon, and me you just, can do it against just... pipsqueak countries. But a... no, 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 no. China's you, another deal. No, no, It's no, not. That's not true, Scott. Well, you got to be worried true. about Canadians getting you know, jailed over there. Okay, okay. So, uh yeah, Germany. Throughout what was it, forty or was it seventy? It's you know, it was a substantial double-digit number of Russian spies and demarched them in the past six months. You know, do we think there are no Russian spies in Canada? Guess what, everyone. Yeah, there are, right. and they work at the embassy, same as our spies. And uh, you know, and uh, like so, it in a, in in real time in other countries, it's happening all the time. This is a, you know a major issue. It you know, but like no one, no one in China, no one in the Chinese administration is going to respect you. But if you uh, think, sorry, no Corey, going.
0: work me through it. Work me through it. If you if you think two steps ahead. So okay. So you kick out the diplomat and yep. they just they, will react. they arbitrarily they will react. detain 3 people. Then what? then
2: but but then then you you demur some more but like what what are what are you doing? You were saying what are the boundaries of what's acceptable and not acceptable? You know, you you uh, you have to you know deal with a bully like a bully and you've got to say here are some very clear lines of what you can't do. And if, if one of the red lines is you yeah, can't threaten Corey, and intimidate the family I, everyone, everyone listening understands members of parliament, everyone, then, then everyone listening understands
1: what you're saying right now, but you haven't answered David's question. And it's a pretty goddamn consequential question. If okay, you're in charge but, of making but, this decision, okay. which is what do I do? What if it's not three? What if it's 13? So, okay. And then I so don't then, have a mechanism to get them out and they're so in a fucking why, why, prison for how long? So,
2: Okay, but you know, you got, I'm not so saying like,
1: don't do know. it. I'm saying it's not I, fucking simple to do, and it has real world uh, consequences.
2: Sure, sure it does. You know what? A, what you know what a bigger and more and more serious and more uh, disturbing real world consequence is is that you don't protect your own citizens in your own country. That is, and if they do that, you know what you know what you do. You 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 start canceling visas. And you start throwing out lots of people and you you you've got to be willing to up the ante and say where the red lines are. And if a red line is is not that you can't threaten and intimidate members of parliament, I don't know what a fucking red line is. Like, wh- where, where is it enough? So, you know, you, you got to do something and you got to be willing to escalate in some sort of parallel track and it's not like china is going to go and the next day arrest a bunch of uh, canadians and throw them in jail again and if they do there better be consequences cuz you know the lesson from the two michaels is there aren't consequences that unfortunately is what the lesson was
1: well another lesson is when they're in prison it's hard to get them out and and so like i i, I don't disagree with you but i like this is not just the kind of like you know uh
2: Okay, any, well, any, ass, realized, it's not an any
1: asshole policy. It's not an any asshole could figure this out. It's mm. it's you know there. So do you send a well, signal? Do you escalate it now and send out? Does Foreign Affairs well, put out but, a formal but, dispatch that says, you know what? If you're a Canadian in China, get the fuck out now. Get out by Friday. Well, um, like well, how do but, you
2: manage it? You know that's but, all. Well, I'm just saying it
1: ain't so I, simple. I
2: I, I think you got to not just throw out that diplomat, but that that should be you know point one. But I think the government has to start talking in real terms about what escalation looks like. What other yeah. things are, are at risk? And, you know, well, look, if, 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 you know, you're going to do this, we're going to do this. And not all of that has to be out in, in, in the newspaper, right? You can do this through diplomatic channels too, but there has to be. Uh, some sign that you're going to do some things and you got to communicate to the other country what some of those things are. And you got to communicate to the Canadian public that you're on the file and you're showing up in the morning and you're doing something. And, and, you know, because right now they're, I think they're getting, you know, both sides of this wrong. They're looking like they don't know what's happening in their own government. And, you know, and I think we talked about that and you can give, I think a fair amount of latitude and, and, and space on that, because I think, you know, doesn't matter who's in charge, that would be happening. But what I think is different than if someone else was in charge is what the reaction is and, and that they can control.
0: So I want to ask a question. And quite frankly, it's a question most of us should be asking right now. As I've explained here before, the federal government intends to impose a new rule on the country's railways. It's called extended interswitching, and basically it means shippers will be able to force railways to hand off cargo to one another, possibly multiple times, between origin and destination, at the expense of the railways. I've compared it to forcing airlines to deliver passengers to their competitors back and forth on several flights, instead of a direct non-stop. This will, without question, slow down cargo. Our sponsor, CN, reckons it may delay shipping times by up to 25%. And it will cost all the railways money, a lot of money. Such costs are inevitably passed on to consumers, and that's just the way the economy works. So just to be clear, the government intends to impose rules that will needlessly clog our domestic supply chains and increase sticker shock for consumers at a time when Canadians are already struggling with sharp increases in the price of groceries, fuel, and most other items on the store shelves. My question is simple, why? Why is the government determined to do this It's been tried before and it didn't work. And who exactly benefits? Because someone will definitely benefit. The last time this pilot was tried, it was an American railway that benefited most. I suspect that didn't create any jobs in Canada. More on this in the weeks to come. Meanwhile, think about it. Everything you buy, and I mean everything, travels by rail at some stage. CN, for one, does not want to see supply chain efficiency deteriorate, investment in Canadian infrastructure deteriorate, and needless price increases, do you? Ian Brodie's on the record as saying, by the way, that it would axiomatically have come to him as as a chief of staff to Harper if there had been such a piece of intelligence available. Well, uh,
2: and and you know, I I, I love Ian, and uh, you know, but what 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 is that statement? That's a statement of how things would have uh, operated quite some time ago with a completely different crew of people. Uh, in charge of CSIS and but even then I'd say I'd give it a one in two chance that that's the case but you know maybe but you know it's it's a different director it's a different team of people both in PCO and at, at CSIS and you know there's a, a pattern here and we we've seen it on a number of issues we go through the convoy if we wanted or many other things where you know uh uh, the secrecy in the CESA seems to be about keeping secrets from the elected people in government that they're supposed to be supplying intelligence information to as much as it is uh, keeping secrets from, you know, the broader public.
1: Well, We have another whip hand in government and it's not sexy and it isn't terribly visible and it won't get a lot of attention on our podcast. And that is uh, demote deputies. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's also like there's also that sort of discipline that you can exercise. You can sure. say, listen, I see evidence of uh, inadequate judgment, and sort of saying to people, "Well, it's not acceptable," and throwing people around and saying, "Sorry," like I mean, this actually does have uh, a career-limiting consequence, and right. um, and 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 that's the dissatisfaction. That's the I don't hear and feel and see a level of unsatisfaction. Um, well, m- maybe I am missing we, it because I am not there, but we, I, I'd like we, to see we've some. We've seen evidence it on other it.
2: files, like if you were to to look at uh, you know the handling of sexual misconduct within the Canadian Forces. Uh, and yeah. and non compliance and all of that, you Hands saw rolled. you saw that happen, and, and many right like with jeepers, because, it took
1: it took it to that level before before that occurred, right? Well,
2: and, uh, I, I I'm not going to say who it was, but a senior member of the government gate had such a good line on on that with the with DND that I, I just have to repeat it. It's like I've never opened a deck of cards, and everyone I turn up is a joker in terms of. <laughs> trying to find somebody to lead the Canadian forces that uh, wasn't up to no good at some point in the past. Yeah. All right. Hey, there's a new King of Canada.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Coronation on the weekend. I didn't watch it. I don't give a
2: fuck. Either of you guys got anything. I actually watched it. Um, yeah, I'm not in real time because I don't get up at four a.m. on, on the weekend. Mm. Uh you know, you'll you'll be surprised to hear. <laughs> uh but still up, uh, maybe. Yeah, uh yeah, maybe. Um but uh, no, I watched I watch the uh the rebroadcast and you know, uh look I because I thought I think this is a consequential moment in our history. And, you know, this is something that doesn't, uh, you know, hasn't happened in a very long time. And, uh, you know, I thought it was, was, was interesting to watch and all of that. The problem is, you know, uh, Ch- Charles is, is well, a well known uh, commodity and not all, all the things that are known are really great. And, uh, you know, uh, a lot more people have watched the crown in, uh, in Canada than watched the coronation. And, uh, and it's not so flattering. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, I think the institution is, is uh, there's a lot that you could say that's, that's really positive about it and it's part of our legacy. And I think, you know, uh, yeah, and I, I think it's a good feature of our government. Like I, you know, I think it would be better in the United States if, you know, the Donald Trumps of the world had a head of state that they had to go and pay some level of homage to and, and the notion that the state is larger than somebody you elect into office, like, uh, there are a lot of good things that you can say about the monarchy and all that. But, you know, um, we've gone from, you know, sort of the best case scenario monarch that you could have with uh, Queen Elizabeth II, who was widely respected by, you know, uh, uh, hundreds of millions of people around the world and, and had a personal comportment that was, you know, really beyond reproach in, in, in many, many, many ways. And now we have somebody who um you know uh you don't have to be an ethicist or a moralist to say you know there's maybe some challenges around this person and and you know i and look i'm i I'm a human you know if if, if I were in that kind of position there'd be a lot of a lot You're of people tell me, me that
0: you've never wanted to be a tampon
2: uh yeah right uh <laughs> but it's. Uh, I don't know how to respond to that, David. No, I, I, I haven't. But the, Let's just uh, be
1: glad no one's tapped your phone calls, Shirley,
2: uh, or mine. But look, I, you know we're not the head of the state. the comparison is is not going to be made to. Uh, you know, dirtbags like uh, you and I, Scott. They're, they're going to be they're going to be made to Queen Elizabeth II, who uh, you know has uh, lived a uh, lived a bit of a better life in in that regard than we have. I mean, I just happen to think, Scott,
0: that uh, the institution makes so little sense in this year. Uh, that I mean, whatever there was some residual affection and affinity to the Queen. And I think that that has largely dissipated with her absence. And I I don't think that most Canadians are going to care at all about the monarchy, but I think it will survive because there's no alternative that isn't incredibly painful for Canada to get to from here. So I think just inertia will keep them in place, but without any real relationship at
1: all. I have a different view. I I think and my my view on this has changed. My view personally and my view in terms of what I think, from a political risk management and a political recommendation standpoint, is has traditionally been so. Personally, I grew up in Prince Edward Hastings. Like my sure. aunt Marg was the most important person in my life after my mother, and on her wall hanged a portrait of the Queen. So, like this is this is where I come from. So, a place of uh, ubiquitous attachment to. He's like I my I had an uncle who signed his name UBL United Empire Loyalist okay so I like that's where I come from culturally and not and familial right so um, not inclined to be a monarchy basher but like as I watch this stuff the transition from the Queen you know it isn't just Charles I hear what you're saying and I think you're right uh, Corey but I don't think it's fair to heap it just on him I think the institution. In the in the full color high definition broadcast of twenty twenty three, when I saw the carriage, Scott, it just looked ridiculous. It doesn't make Mm -hmm. sense. I just don't think it doesn't. He's standing there, and he's you know he's sitting there. Rather, they hand him the scepters. They've got the crown on his head, and I say, this looks silly. This looks ridiculous. This looks like uh, this looks like a deleted scene from an Amazon series of some you know like it's not. It doesn't, and so. That's My personal view is that I think this institution is not just disconnected uh, from people's daily lives increasingly in this country, but I think it looks anachronistic and weird to people and almost alienating. And I don't think that you can be indifferent to that. Um, And so where that takes me politically is I used to share your view, uh, David. I was always at the view when people would raise this issue, I would say the pain of trying to deal with it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Danilo, you know, g- great story about Danilo and Lawrence Martin in a headline sometime. I'll, uh, I won't go into it now, but uh, <laughs> Peter having to answer for, uh, uh, for an anti-monarchist uh, impulse one day. But, like, from my perspective, I'm not sure the political risk argument holds water anymore. In fact, I wonder if there's a political opportunity. So, for example... Say you had a prime minister who was running to try to win his fourth election in a row, who had begun begun as a symbol of uh, dynamism and reform and who seemed like he had a big slice of youth going for him and now is struggling to recapture that sense of fresh and uh, and energy. I'm not certain that I wouldn't be tempted if I was that prime minister saying this next election, we're going to attach... A referendum question and we're gonna poll Canadians uh, at the ballot box on whether they would like to continue to be a uh, 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 you know if part of the monarchy and 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 we all sign allegiance to the king or if we say we will keep this constitutional structure but we will replace the king with a president or whatever our head of state is you Do know the, right yeah, exactly. Right. Um, yeah, right. And, and yeah. go that way and just sort of see, and then have that argument and let that argument unfold. And I think that it will make, you know, from a partisan perspective, when you lay it over, I think there'll be, there'll be some, you know, the, the cohort that would be most, Offended by that, probably is heavily inclined to vote conservative anyway. I think there could be some energy and sense of, oh, okay, well, this is chase. Now, maybe it's not it's I think that's a change. fine
0: idea, Scott, but I think if you open up the it, Constitution right now, it could yeah, be the end of the this country. Is well, of I business, business that Quebec's plan, between Quebec's plants and indigenous plants, etc., it could literally be the end of the country.
1: I don't and, know, well, man. And, and I don't and and I think Western you say I'm not doing that. And, and, I refuse and, and, to open the
2: constitution. Well, I, other than you this you can't. You can't change the head of the state and our, you know, the the fundamental constitutional uh, democracy that we have here without changing the Constitution, Scott.
1: I know, but say we're not going to permit this. It's a one time, I'm having a referendum so that there's a one time agenda item. That's all that any of us have a mandate to do. And we will. We will acknowledge you all, and if it gets a two-thirds supermajority, well, then we're moving, and uh, all of the first ministers should feel bound by it, and they should speak up now, and if they say they're not going to be bound by it or that they want to include right. other items, I say no, and yada, and see how that right. debate unfolds, and if you lose that debate, fine, but I think it puts you on the right side of, like, are you are you for this strangely... You know, this, what, this 1953 newsreel? Wow, the King Charles well, it, today was it, uh, holding the scepter of Scone or but, whatever to Christ. Scott, I, I don't think Scott, people... Scott,
2: if, even if you're a hardcore, you know, Republican, and and I know, you know... I know and I'm not, actually, but... I, right, but I know many of them who are, you know, say, say, say if that was my point of view, I, I think it's very reasonable to say that, you know, if you're going to, you know, bring the country into that, and that's the thing you're going to hold a referendum on and all those things that you're wildly out of touch with what's important and what Canadians want you focused on right now. And even if you think you got a point on that, you could say, well, that's a point, but, you know, cost of living, the economy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm still going to campaign
1: on those things. Are we so sure? Are we so sure that this thing wouldn't, uh, like, are we so sure that in 2015, it wasn't like weed was the most important issue to Canadians, but saying, like, i got a I'd point of view a, on this, and would, this is what would, it's going to be.
2: I would want to do a lot of polling before I got into uh, that fight. Th-
1: fair enough. But all I'm saying is I think my assessment as to what the political risks are and where the political opportunities are, I think it's changed. And I think it changed on May 6th, and I think it was changing before them. When Charles and Camilla did their tour last summer of Canada, I was watching the footage then, and I thought, you know, this looks fucking odd, man. This yeah. just looks odd.
0: Sure does. Now speaking of constitutional talks and who might be difficult in them, it's our time for our weekly update on the Alberta election. And <clears throat> I would have to say, you know, they've got a terrible tragedy going on out there with the wildfires and thirty thousand people displaced from their homes and a lot of build a lot of property damage already and God knows what's to come. Thank God they got decent weather yesterday. Um, But I would have to say, much to my surprise, uh, Premier Smith appears to be handling this entirely appropriately. She's met with and briefed with Rachel Notley um, uh, on the situation. She's reached out to the federal government in a professional manner for assistance. She looks like the Premier.
2: Yep. Yeah, look, David, I I think this is... Really consequential moment in this election campaign, and I'm going to explain why, and I'm going to give you an example of how the you know we had a similar version of something like this in 2015. The the Notley campaign is clearly the ballot questions around leadership and appropriateness to be in charge, and uh, and they've set a bar of, as what that what that looks like, and they painted a picture of Danielle being. You know, uh, uh, absolutely unqualified and a train wreck and a disaster, etc. cetera, uh, that, you know, she can't help but but jump over, you know, because like many of our fellow accursed who are listening to this, I, you know, I, I you know, I, I, I like watching news conferences and stuff. I watched her news conference around this. She was good. You know, and she certainly wasn't the train wreck that was uh, has been per- portrayed and that is the part of the NDP advertising, etc. She looked good. So, you know, the, the example that, you know, I'll give you as uh, a point of comparison is uh, the 2015 campaign where all of our polling and research, probably very much like the polling and research that the Notley team is looking at, said, what is the soft underbelly of Justin Trudeau? Well, he's, you know, the guy who's, you know, suave and debonair and charming and he's not a serious person and he won't have a command of issues, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Even, you know, one, you know, uh, uh, seemingly incompetent comms guy even went out and said that if he, you know, just showed up at the debate <laughs> and had his pants on, uh, that everyone would say win. wins. So whoever that fucker is, I hope he got fired. But... Um, I remember but, that you yeah. got your metaphor all mixed up, though, didn't you? Got yeah. into like whether his yeah. pants were up or down, his zipper, and his yeah, dick no. was out. It, it was like, all
1: it was, you uh, got, it was okay. all weird. It came out wrong.
2: Yeah, no, it, uh, it yeah, absolutely. But the point <laughs> being, you, know, you, can, you can focus on all the research can say. Focus on this. This is this is the thing. But you know, sometimes uh, life in the universe gives you an opportunity to demonstrate that, you know, the, you know, the image that you're setting up of this person, the narrative that you're trying to craft and tell, it doesn't work. And, and for Trudeau, you know, where he overcame that was his performance in the debates. It's not like he beat Harper in any of those debates. Harper was great, but Harper had to be great and was expected to be great. All that you know, Trudeau had to do is be adequate and not the, you know, the sort of stereotype that, that you know, was presented and and all of a sudden, you know, he's he's passed the test and crossed that threshold. What I think is happening with you know with this this issue so far, and it's not all played out yet, but you know, uh, Smith's comportment and uh, her comms and how she's presenting herself and how she's appearing, I think, to to folks is that you know she can be trusted to uh, to make good decisions and act in a responsible manner uh, in a crisis, and and that. Deeply undermines the NDP narrative, and and what you know n- nobody thinks whoever's in charge can stop a forest fire, you know uh, like or not have to go through that. But how you handle it is is really I think uh, undermining uh, the the narrative that the NDP have. It's very bad luck for them that I think that this is happening. It's bad luck obviously on a substantive basis for anyone whose whose house or home is at risk and has had to evacuate, etc. But You know, the opportunity here for for Smith, I think she's making the most of. And uh, I think it's going to be a material point in this campaign.
0: Scott, I'm just going to pile on with what Corey said, because I have an additional observation, which is that as I watch the NDP campaign, they're not playing an aggressive offensive game. They're playing defense, it looks to me, and waiting for Smith to fuck up. Like they're not trying to be the sharp, uh, edge of the campaign. For instance, they haven't really even taken a position on the Calgary arena, even though Leger polling shows that it plays just like I thought it would uh, yeah. in Calgary. Only 16% of Calgarians strongly support the government money going into that arena. Um, and uh, But, nonetheless, the NDP don't oppose it. I think so. It looks to me like they their campaign strategy was Smith is going to be Smith at some point, and we just have to sit back and be innocuous and let that happen. And then this wildfire thing comes along.
2: Yeah, um, is, isn't there? Sorry, you go ahead, Scott. I was just going to jump in on the. Well, sure I was going gonna, gonna, to
1: I was, I was go to a slightly different place because there's not. I don't know that. I mean, first of all, we sound like heinous, soulless cretins, because we're looking at this solely through the, the prism of what are the electoral impacts. Obviously, there's a genuine tragedy and natural disaster happening, and real people are, are I said are, that at the beginning. At
0: Fuck off if you're going to try to call me a bad person.
1: I, I just want people to know how bad a person David is, in particular. <laughs> um, but, like, I, I think the interesting... Like, it sidelines the NDP campaign. It shortens the election campaign. These are the real-world consequences. If I'm running the election campaign... And I'm looking at this right now for the NDP. I'm like, holy crow. So then you ask yourself, well, like, let's assume this is going to eat up. And I don't know what the answer to this is. Three more days? Five more days? I don't know. But it's going to leave me with today it's three weeks, right? As of the time of this recording, I think, right? Three weeks today the election will be held. So let's assume for the sake of discussion, just to make it harder on yourself, I have two weeks to redefine the election campaign. And this has been a fortifying event for the premier where she's able to look like she's in charge. And she hasn't fallen over uh her own uh, her, her own feed on this issue and i i think you know from my perspective what do you do and i think one of the lessons is that you know you can't make it uh about this abstract notion of leadership and so then you've got to say well what are my best two issues on the board let's go to issues and i think you got to go after in calgary you got to go after that uh you got you got to break some eggs to make an omelet you got to go after that arena thing and go hard on it and go hard on it in the most populist uh simplistic
2: way That's like this is rich people what getting rich it's not, it's not it's not it's not just rich people it's a rich person and you know yeah, like exactly. i you know i you know i i, you know, I, I have no bone to pick with you know mary edwards but you know but he but, doesn't need four hundred million dollars of provincial government money. He just doesn't. Yeah, but that's that's what you say, and and it's a chance to to demonstrate what your priorities are and say, big time. I love the Cal- I love the Calgary Flames. You know, I want to. You know, I, you know, uh, I, I, you can say all of those things about that and say, you know, we need hospitals. We've got big issues going on. We have all of that, and you know, leadership's about making choices. And my choice is not to give hundreds of millions of dollars to a billionaire. Well, and, and you actually uh, what additional, you got kind of to you I was know what Leje
0: found? You know what Leje found? As you also might expect Scott, Leger found that almost 70% of Calgary voters thought this was an attempt to buy their vote.
1: Right. Okay. So, saw I it would transparently say all of those. for what it was. I'd say all of that stuff and I would do exactly what I think uh, um, Corey did by impulse, just as he was rattling it off. And I think I would make it explicit and I would link it to healthcare and I would link it to healthcare and hospitals. And I would go after that issue with a, an axe and just try to say, like, it, if we can get to election day where people say, well, if I vote for the NDP, I will get more healthcare. Like, I know that much. That's the conclusion I reached to. If you can, in addition to that, persuade them that she's in some way smith a danger on that front but i don't think you can run on this sort of abstract you just can't trust her she doesn't she knows she's it's the raccoons argument i don't think you can do the family raccoons campaign you're not going to have time it hasn't worked it's too vulnerable to events as this has shown and you got to go after something that so to me the interesting question now is what do you like is how do you play your cards is there a way to win this campaign let me throw one more
0: let me throw one more thing in here scott to the Corey, which is that the same leger poll showed that a number of policies that Danielle Smith has been closely associated with, like the CP, like having an Alberta only pension plan, are to. wildly unpopular. And she now says, I'm not going to talk about these things in the campaign. She literally said that. Right? Yeah. That's not my that's not my platform for this election. That's not what I'm running on in this campaign. Well, hold on a second. Don't you have to draw those things back into the play as well if you're the NDP?
1: That, those are the two issues I go out. I'd link the the arena, and I would go after healthcare and CPP, uh, healthcare and pensions, and just
2: you know, uh, see no, if they, you can they, make make it. They've got to make it a referendum on something. And I actually think the arena issue is probably the best one out there for the NDP right now. It's it's kind of like it, you know, if you hearken uh, back to. Uh, poor John Tory's uh, race and uh, uh, and religious schooling, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it it, it went, you know, that that campaign basically became a referendum on that one issue, which is a very minor issue in the grand scheme of things. But it was, you know, it became largely a referendum around one issue, uh, which spoke to priorities and, you know, uh, all of those things. And and you can you can actually do a lot of damage with something like that. You know, I, I, I'm i sure that, you know, Murray Edwards has probably, you know, uh, put tens of millions of his own money into various endeavors. You know, I don't know what they are, but I would not be surprised if, yeah, you know, some not, of them are, I, 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 would, I, I would not be, I would not be surprised if there is a, if there was an Edwards wing on the fo- foothills hospital where, you know, 30 or $40 million went into, like that wouldn't surprise me. I don't know what, what. There is and isn't. But I would go around and look at all of those things and I do a little tally that says this is how much that is. And I do how much money the state just gave him for his hockey team. Say, you know, thanks for your generosity. Uh, you know, thanks for one hundred million dollars. Uh, and we just gave you four hundred like it's it's you for know, a team
0: it, that's it, worth it, over a billion
2: dollars to play you know, hockey in. Nice. Well, look, look. What, what are sports teams, you know, you guys are more sports guys than I are, but, you know, uh, these are the play toys of billionaires, you know, whether it's NFL teams or whether it's hockey teams, you know, I, w- I was around the Quebec war- uh, world when uh, my old boss, Pierre-Carl Pelletot, was trying to get the Nordiques back and, you know, going around and meeting with all the other billionaire hockey team owners to... You know, try to to, you know to to try to get their support for buying a team. This is these are playthings of not just the wealthy, the uber 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 fucking wealthy. These are the most exclusive private clubs that you can belong to. And, you know, uh, and and people understand that. And so, you know, giving a bunch of money to those folks, there's a reason why it pulls like shit and always has because it's shit. It's shit policy and and people see through it and they don't like it and they don't want it. It doesn't matter how big a hockey fan you are. You don't want to see a billionaire get hundreds of millions of dollars of taxpayer money for their play toy. 100%.
0: All right. Mr. Pinsent, would you please bring this to a conclusion?
2: Ladies and gentlemen, Please return to your seats. The hey yous are about to begin. All right. Who's got a hey you? I do. I'm going to start.
1: and I'm going to start by going back to my goddamn issue, which you guys don't like, about the Crown. And I'm going to say this. Here's a micro issue on the Crown. Yesterday, I assume, thinking that the sequencing should be in the aftermath, it's an echo announcement of the official coronation, the government of Canada indicated that the $20 bill will be changing. Uh, directing the the Bank of Canada and the Mint to put Charles on the 20. In many ways to confirm that that would be the case. I think that was a stupid, stupid, stupid political decision. And it's another example of how when you've been in government for a long time, you sort of move your way through a bunch of briefing notes. You go, okay, well, this is kind of the natural expectation. And the PM's, we need a package of stuff in and around the coordination. PM's going to go here. He's going to do that, all kinds of stuff. And then the day after we'll announce this. Somebody should have said, you know what? Why don't we just fucking wait and see how these strange dress-up pictures play on the television and with Why don't we see if people go, wait a goddamn minute. Because I can think of a lot of people that I would put on the $20 bill ahead of Charles, and I think that most people think like me, not like this press release. And I just think, like, it's just an indication. Somebody did this by reflex, and somebody should be like, they have got to get – a lot more mercenary in their political impulse. And so, you know, I, I'd almost be inclined if I were them to say, you know what, we're actually going to like, we're going to rethink that thing. Uh, uh, but definitely the decision to just like put it out as a matter of rote to me, fuck man, that's bad. That's bad game. Get your game better.
2: Excellent. Corey. Okay. Well, I uh, mine is going to be a, Hey you with some, some advice. like uh, so, uh for, for the PMO, for the prime minister, uh, hey, you to those folks, <laughs> the, yeah, you got you to start, start putting some of these issues that are, are uh, grinding away on you, behind you, and, and there's things you can control and don't, and you know things that are more complicated. You know, we talked about expelling diplomats, all of that. Here's one that I don't think is very complicated and would be very smart. It's time to put the Trudeau Foundation behind you. And I think there's a very magnanimous thing that they could do that I think would get a lot of support from a lot of Canadians and a lot of people. And that's to say, we're going to uh, rebrand and and reconstitute what is the Trudeau Foundation, which is doing, you know, know, on all accounts, good work in terms of providing scholarships uh, to people. And say, you know what, it's now going to be the Prime Minister's Foundation. And it's going to be, uh, the, the people who are going to be on this board are going to be former prime ministers from every party, and uh, and and other people who, you know, are qualified to be a part of that, and say, you know, this is going to be something that can unite Canadians. And Christ, in like three continue. years,
0: Harper will be the only person on the board.
2: Yeah, right. Well, I kind of like that. He's a really nice guy. Uh, <laughs> no, but, like, look, you know, the, the, the notion, in all seriousness, the notion of, of doing something like the Trudeau Foundation, I think, was ill-conceived from its start. It's very un-Canadian. We don't do that with former prime ministers historically in Canada. That's not something that you know, is, is part of our political culture the way it is in the United States. Uh, and uh, I think it would be smart politics. I think it would be good policy. And I think it would be unifying for Canadians to, uh, to, to, to walk away from that branding and that approach and say, you know what, this is going to be in the name of all prime ministers, or you could have it in the name of whatever the fuck else you want, but you know, let's let's uh, abandon that notion. That we're going to do this really good thing, but in the name of one prime minister from one party, and we're going to stack a board with you know cronies and hacks and uh, you know friends and fellow travelers and sons of and all the rest to uh, you know dole this money out. We're going to do that in the name of all Canadians because it's frankly at the end of the day all Canadians' money, and and do something like that and put that issue behind you. Um, I think it you know I hope uh, someone out there is listening to that. Uh, you know it's the the advice is worth what what you paid for it but i think it's something that would be be smart for them and and good for the country
0: you know when i watched his brother's testimony last week i didn't get the impression that justin's well-being was uh, sasha's
2: top uh, priority no i can't imagine that that was uh you know i thought it was very ill-conceived and he did not have to be there in fact that the 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 committee said they weren't going to call him and he insisted essentially you know um not not
0: great no I have a two hey yous, i got a mini one and a big one. My mini one goes out to whoever in the Liberal Party decided to stop serving alcohol in the Laurier Club lounge <laughs> at the convention. It was an extremely unpopular decision by my interaction with delegates uh, <laughs> throughout the convention site because the people that contribute to the Laurier Club, the old poobahs, they like to go and sit in that room and visit with their own kind and drink. And they there was no alcohol. At a liberal convention. My God, what has changed?
1: Oh, my God. <laughs> now, can Thank you Christ I didn't go. That would yeah. have been awful. Uh, my
0: big hey you goes out uh, to uh, Mark Leland. The news came to me yesterday that Mark Lalonde had passed away. And he's, of course, one of the giant figures of politics in the 60s and 70s and 80s in canada he was mr trudeau's go-to person for every important file is still beloved in the social policy community for the 1974 health white paper that he put out that the government did not implement but nonetheless quite (laughs) revolutionary in its thinking i uh what was a big is a big part of history it was a big fight between him and turner big showdown over that uh policy and uh in any event i got to work with him when i was a very young kid uh, in the summers of 1983 and 84 and I've rarely in my life been more chuffed than when I walked into that office and got a business card and said I worked for (laughs) the Honourable Mark Lalonde because he was the fucking champ of uh, of that government and then we had a falling out we had a bad personal falling out uh, over uh, Turner because Mr. Lalonde opposed Mr. Turner's leadership in 1986 at the Review, and he and I had a public break, and we didn't talk for a long, long time. And then in advance of the 2006 election, I uh, sucked up all of my pride and and went and visited him, along with John Webster, and and we asked him if he would uh, be the Quebec co-chair of the campaign. And after uh, making me uh, eat some shit for a few minutes, uh, he graciously agreed and worked his ass off at it so i got to work alongside him in somewhat of a peer capacity which was also a big thrill for me great loss to canada and i'm very very uh, sorry to hear about it um but boy big part of my life mark Lalonde. rest in peace
1: i don't have any personal stories to show share um i mean i only met him a handful of times but imagine but he was somebody that as a nerd kid interested in politics fascinated me because he was this angular looking severe sounding man and yet he was obviously a dominant dominant figure in politics and then he he starts out as a principal secretary in 1968 then becomes a member of parliament and then after that as soon as he's in cabinet he is at every single hot file plus he becomes the Quebec lieutenant as René Lévesque becomes premier and separatism blows up on the government and appears as though it may might even be a fait accompli or an absolutely irreversible uh, course of action i mean just astonishing and um so just i'll just add that i mean and then the opportunity to meet and work a little bit alongside him um you know in in the 2000s it was quite quite staggering but he um he, I, just that the epitome of that sort of uncharismatic cerebral um i don't have to ask for power i don't have to tell people i'm powerful when I walk into the room and you're in my orbit, the fucking power flows off of me. Uh, so back up, because I'm a genuine superhero.
0: Hey, Corey, seven, he was running the Quebec campaigns, and in 79, they won 67 out of 75 seats. So when the election happened nine months later, he figured that wasn't good enough. They won 74 out of
2: 75 Amazing. seats. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs>
0: All right, I'd like to thank our presenting sponsor, Us, and our sponsor, CN Rail. Everybody who watched or listened to the show today, Corey and Scott for being here, and Jordan, come back next week. It's lively when you're here. Uh, and uh, everybody else, take care. We'll see you next Monday with more Curse of Politics. Enjoy yourselves.